Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. All right, this is it. The final message in the series of Breakthrough. Um, As most of you know, Breakthrough is our theme for the year. And this will be message number 12,000 in the series. Um, The message I'm speaking today was supposed to be last week by my plan. Uh, But when I sat down and began to type the content that I'm going to share with you today, it just wouldn't come out. And I kept trying to steer it that way, and it kept going the other way. And I just finally just gave in and went the other direction. And I'm grateful that I did. I'm grateful that the Holy Spirit led us a different path. Um, God did some significant work in people's lives last week, and I'm just so thankful. Uh, Many of you came to me or texted me after and said it felt like God was speaking directly to you, uh, as if you were the only one in the room, and only the Holy Spirit could take a message with 100 plus people and make it feel like it's just for you. Man, God was just speaking to people people last week. I'm just, I'm just grateful. Um, so it didn't feel right to end on week 11, which would have been last week. 12, such a significant number in the Bible. Uh, 12 disciples, 12 tribes, 12, I don't know, there's a lot of 12s. And uh, so week 12, the final message of the series uh, here's a screenshot of my journal when I began planning this message uh, series weeks and, or months and months ago. It was supposed to be four, so now we're on 12. <laughs> breakthrough, Jesus, I need a breakthrough. We were supposed to start off with that. Then it was prepare for breakthrough. And then it was speak the breakthrough, negativity fast. How many of you got something out of that one? You guys, yeah, a lot. <laughs> we all needed to anyway. How many of you are still working on your negativity? Yeah, it's not been working for me either. So we'll revisit that sometime in the future. And then we we're supposed to talk about after, uh, after the breakthrough. And so today would have been after the breakthrough, but, to, but for today's message, we're going to call it Walk It Out. All right, that's good. That's good. <laughs> if I were a cooler pastor, like well, we would just, you know, everybody jump up, be like, Walk It Out. But most of you are like, Wait, what? <laughs> walk it out. How many of you know that there's a difference between receiving breakthrough and then walking it out? Um, it's completely different. Receiving the breakthrough is one thing, but walking it out is something completely different. And so as we move into our next series, we're going to be looking back at this and how walking it out and what it looks like. We're going to look at that in a little bit more detail. But today's subject matter is going to deal specifically with our spiritual authority. And as I look back over my notes and the things that I've shared since the inception of our church, it's been over three years since we've discussed spiritual authority. And this is, uh, this is important because understanding our spiritual authority as Christ followers is a key component to maintaining our breakthrough. And so the first thing we need to understand is this, and I've said this before, but we need to understand that as Christ followers, we are fighting from a place of victory. First John 5, 4 tells us, for every child defeats, that word means overcomes and conquers this evil world. And we achieve this victory, that word means Nike. We achieve this victory through our faith. I have a lot of verses today. 
I would encourage you to take some notes on your phone, on a notepad, on something beside you, and you can go back and chew on these throughout the week. It's going to be more verses probably than I've ever thrown at you in one sermon. Colossians chapter 2. The great apostle Paul continues his writing. He says this, verse 15, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory. That word means triumph. He triumphed over them on the cross. How many of you are grateful for that? First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. Again, the apostle Paul writes, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory. That word means to utterly vanquish. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these are only three of countless other verses that talk about our position in Jesus. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we're fighting from a place of victory. The battle has already been won. When we pray, we're not praying from a place of if God can or I hope God can. We're praying from a place of he already did. Everything that we'd ever need has already, past tense, been provided for on the cross. Our salvation from hell and eternal separation from God was purchased at the cross. Healing for our bodies, healing for our minds, healing for our emotional wounds was purchased at the cross. Freedom from sin, freedom from addiction, freedom from ourselves was purchased on the cross. Everything that we'd ever need was purchased on the cross. First Peter chapter one Verse 18 and 19, it says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. That means purchased. That you were redeemed or purchased from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. When Jesus died on that cross and rose from the dead three days later, he secured our place of victory. And I love what Mark Batterson always says when he walked out of the grave, impossible walked out of our dictionary. Amen. I've shared this illustration uh, a couple times before, but I think it's worth repeating. Most of you know that our family, we moved here in 05 from Kentucky. And so we are diehard Kentucky Wildcat fans. And, every, and anybody else who plays the Gators, we would, you know, that's our two teams. So we, we watch nearly every game, every season. And sometimes we're unable to watch the game live because of scheduling conflicts. I'm so thankful for DVR. Anybody else grateful that you can record things? In the 80s, people would set their VCR to record a show or a game. Uh, that, and you just hoped it didn't go into overtime because your tape would run out. That, nobody experienced that once? <laughs> Yeah, someone recorded over here like, dude, what did you do? There's a system that we have to watching a game that's already been played, but we're watching it recorded, pre or recorded. Uh, because people know we're fans, they'll text us updates occasionally, they'll, people will post on social media. So if we want to experience the game, even if it's hours later, as if it were live, we have to eliminate the outside voices. Just because the game is recorded and not live doesn't mean it eliminates the stress or anxiety of the game, especially if it's close, it's going down to the wire, last second buzzer beater type stuff can be very, it can be a very, you know, either a great place or a bad place to be if you're at our house and that stuff's going down depending on how it happens. But here's what eliminates all of the worry and the stress is if we accidentally see the final score of the game before the recording is over and we know that we come out on top. See, at this point, it doesn't matter what's happening during the game because we already know we win. Sometimes I see the final score before the recording and I'm watching the game going, I don't know how we win, but I see the end of it. I've seen the score and I know that we win. I watch in disbelief. 
I'm wondering how could we come back from this deficit? But it doesn't matter if I know how. What matters is I know that we win. And so the same thing applies to us in our spiritual life. Right? When we're watching a movie or a TV show that we've already seen, it doesn't matter how intense it gets, right? Because we know how it ends. And because of that, I can relax and I can enjoy the show or the movie or the game. And the same is true, again, for our lives and concerning breakthrough. Our posture should be different when we know the outcome ahead of time. I don't have to worry. I don't have to stress. I don't have to be filled with anxiety because we know we win because of what Jesus did on the cross. Victory is our baseline. That's where we start. Victory is the baseline. It doesn't mean bad things will never happen to us. It doesn't mean that we'll never get sick. It doesn't mean we'll never experience loss. We live in a fallen world that's full of sin and death. And because of that, we have to fight for the victory that's rightfully ours. But we can rest in Christ knowing that ultimately we win. So victory is the starting place. Everything that tries to derail us from that place of victory is contrary to what Christ has already provided for us on the cross. Our spiritual default is a place of victory. But because we live in a fallen world, we all experience hurt and loss and death and frustration and sickness. All of these things are an attempt from the enemy. And our enemy is Satan and his demons. It's an attempt from him to distort our thinking and to cause us to think like the world, to cause us to question God's goodness. To cause us to question God's sovereignty, to question whether God even loves me to begin with. Has anybody ever felt like that? You're going through something and you're like, God, the Bible says, the pastor says, the songs I sing say that you're good, but this doesn't feel good. It's an attack of the enemy to question who, who he is. And when we begin to allow our thinking to align with our circumstances, Instead of what God's word says, it creates what we've talked about around here many times called ungodly beliefs. Now, for those that are new, ungodly beliefs or UGBs for short are a recurring theme around here because it's very important. And we'll visit this in more detail at another time. So we're never going to stop talking about UGBs because they're so it's such a powerful force in our life. Ungodly beliefs. Let me give you a quick definition for those that haven't been around. Ungodly beliefs are anything that you believe which is not in agreement with God's word, his nature, or his character. This includes all of our beliefs, our decisions, attitudes, agreements, judgments, expectations, vows, and oaths that do not agree with God's word, his nature, or his character. But here's here's what happens. Rather than resting in the finished work of Jesus, we often focus on only the things we see with our physical or natural eyes. But because we don't see, and part of it is because we don't see the spiritual world with our physical eyes. And because we don't see it that way, we often ignore it, forget that it's there, or just pretend it's not there. We find ourselves living as if there's nothing beyond what we can see with our natural eyes, but this simply is not true. The I believe it when I see it attitude is completely contrary to God kind of faith, right? Scripture tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not seen. All right, what does this have to do with anything? When we're living in that tension that we talked about last week, that tension of God's word says, but my reality is, we cannot lose sight that there are spiritual forces at work. 
Let's look again at the words of Paul, the great first century missionary, in a letter that he wrote to what would now be the modern city of Honaz in Turkey. In Colossians chapter 1, he writes these words, verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Paul is making a distinction between the things we see with our physical eyes and the things we do not see. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. And we're going to get to the, to, into the authority of Christ in just a moment. But this is a nod to that authority. Christ is supreme over all creation, the seen and the unseen, the natural and the supernatural, the physical and the spiritual. Paul is saying Christ is supreme above all. Verse 16, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Again, look at the comparisons, right? Heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. We are facing a real enemy. Paul said there are thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. He continues this theme in Ephesians chapter 6, a very popular verse of scripture, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against people, not against humans, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Again, look at the pattern, seen, unseen, spiritual world, physical world. Now, there are many other passages that confirm this dichotomy of the physical and spiritual world, and we're not going to have time to hit all of them today. But when he references the ruler of the unseen world, he's talking about Satan. Now, to understand how Satan became the ruler of the kingdom of the air, we have to go back to the very beginning, as in, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This specific topic of authority in Christ would probably need its own 12-week series. So today will be a flyover on the topic. And I'm going to try to fit this into the context of walking out our breakthrough. And hopefully this will spark something inside of you to begin to research this for yourself. Because the truth is, if Sunday morning is the only time that we spend time in God's Word, we're going to be spiritually malnourished at best and will certainly be spiritually immature. So please study this for yourself. But in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Well, before that, God has just created the world. Plants, land animals, fish, sun, moon, stars. And now he's about to create man. All right, so in verse 26, Genesis chapter 1, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number or multiply. Then he says, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the ground. Now back to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man, mankind in our own image and our likeness so that they may rule. Right? He said, I don't want you to just survive. I don't want you to just get by. 
I don't want you to just barely make it. I want you to rule. The word rule is the Hebrew word rada, and it means to have dominion or to dominate. God's original design was that Adam and Eve would have dominion. God set this thing up so that humankind would be the rulers of the earth over all creation. You and I were originally created to dominate, created to dominate in this life. And then he says, fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue is the Hebrew word kabash, and it means to force, keep under, bring into bondage. The implication is there's going to be opposition. So if we try... It will it will try. The opposition will try to either take control or keep control. But we have to subdue. We have to keep it under our control. Are you guys tracking with me? So God gives mankind the ability to dominate. And then he tells Adam, keep it under your under control or subdue it to use biblical language. In other words, God gives man control. And the very next thing he does is give him authority. It's like God is saying, I'm giving you the ability to dominate the earth. If anything rises against you. You don't necessarily have to bring it to me. Just subdue it. Keep everything under control. I'm giving you the authority. Exercise the authority that I'm giving you. Enter Satan. Genesis chapter 3. It's the account of the fall of man. Satan deceives Eve by twisting the truth. She eats the forbidden fruit and then gives some to Adam who also eats the forbidden fruit. I mean, this is the original. You had one job. (laughs) Keep creation under control. And when Adam and Eve disobeyed, when they disobeyed God, they sinned and they ate the fruit. They gave up their authority. And this is the birthplace of all sin, all sickness, all disease, all evil. Every evil thing that's ever happened in the world from then until now began at this moment. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, says this. For in one place the scriptures say, what are people that you should think of them or a son of man, that you should care for him. Yet you made them only a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. And you gave them authority over all things. And just so we're clear, he says, now when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. We have not yet seen all the things put under their authority. Why? Because Adam lost his authority in the garden. Verse 9, what what we do see is Jesus, who was given a position a little lower than the angels, angels, meaning he also became a man like us. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. That's a good place for a hallelujah. Jesus tasted death for everyone. He took my sin, my shame, my insecurity, my failure, my punishment to the cross. He took it in my place, in your place. Let's look again at verse 8. You, meaning God, gave them authority over all things. Now, when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. God gave mankind authority in the Garden of Eden. But Adam lost his authority by giving in to sin. Now, the fifth chapter of Romans describes this in a beautiful way. And I encourage you to read the entire chapter on your own. But for time's sake, we're only going to read... Verse 18, Romans chapter 5. Again, this is a letter that the first century missionary Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Verse 18, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. 
One act of sin by one man, Adam, messed everything up. One act of obedience by one man, Jesus, corrected everything that Adam destroyed, including regaining the authority that was lost in the Garden of Eden. All right, let's jump to another one of Paul's letters. Ephesians chapter 1. I don't know if we already read a lot this morning, but hang in there. We're going to get to the point in just a minute. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his, in his holy people, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. Again, this is a letter written to the first century church. Paul is addressing Christ's followers for the most part, telling them that the eyes of their heart need to be enlightened so that they can see all that God has for them. But doesn't this still describe us today? People have been to church. We have information overload, right? We've had an encounter or multiple encounters with God, right? We're on our way to heaven, but the eyes of our hearts are often darkened to all that God has for us. There's so much more to following Jesus than just punching our ticket to heaven. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And watch this. And seated him at, the right, at his right hand in the heavenly realms. All right. He's still making this comparison of earthly realm and heavenly realms. Now, what does it say that Jesus is doing in verse 20? Is it still up there? He's sitting down. Why is he sitting down? Right. We sit down when the task is complete or finished. Right. When this service is over, I'm going to sit down because this will be done. What what did Jesus say when he was on the cross? It is finished. He wasn't talking about his physical life coming to an end. He was saying the work that I came to accomplish has been completed. And now he's in the heavenly realm seated at the right hand of the father. Now, the right hand is a representation of the power of God. All through scripture, we see references to God's mighty right hand. So he's seated, which means the work is complete. He's not waging war on Satan to maintain his position. Jesus has already won the war. This is what we were talking about earlier, that as Christ followers, we begin from a place of victory. The battle has already been won because of the cross. All right, he continues. Seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over the over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. All right. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father. What does it say in verse 21? Far above all rule and authority, power, dominion and every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. There's not even a close second. Jesus, his authority and his power is far above all others. God placed all things, it says, under his feet. Does everybody see that? Now, there are probably a few in the room that would 
there are probably very few that would disagree that all power and authority belong to Jesus. Let's continue reading. And we're almost finished reading. We're going to jump over to Ephesians chapter 2. But remember, this is a continuation of the thought that's already begun. There were no chapters or verses when this letter was written. It was just one continuous letter. All right? Jesus in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all all else. Verse 1, chapter 2. As for you... You were dead in transgressions and sin. you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who was now at work in those who were disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions and sins. It is by grace that you have been saved. God raised, watch this, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in in Christ Jesus. All right, so let's recap what we just read. Where's Jesus? Seated at the right hand of the Father. For those who forgot, Ephesians 1, 20 through 22. God seated him, Jesus, at his right hand in the heavenly realms, where far above all rule and authority and dominion and every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but in the ones to come. He's above it all. And God placed all things under his feet. Now, where's Jesus? Right hand of the Father. Now, where are we if you're a Christ follower? Chapter 2, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Spiritually speaking, we are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. It's easy for us to accept that Jesus is in a place of authority, but it's often difficult to accept that we as Christ followers also have a place of authority. We don't have to be held captive to the lies of Satan. We don't have to give in to temptation. We don't have to live a life full of depression and anxiety and worry. We don't have to live a life full of sadness and fear and dread. Why? Because God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Look, I know this is a difficult concept to accept. I struggle with it myself. How could I? With all of my failures, all of my sin and imperfections, be seated with Christ and walk in the same authority that Jesus has. Paul gives us the answer. In verse 4 of chapter 2, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. It is, through the, it is through God's grace and His mercy. It's certainly not because any of us deserve it. Remember, remember how Paul started this whole conversation. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Many of us are walking around with the blindfold on. We are unable to see. 
We've accepted the lie that this is just how it is. I'll never be free. I'll never experience my breakthrough. This is just my life now. I'm always going to struggle, but it doesn't have to be that way because God raised us up with Christ. And maybe you're like me, you're trying to figure this thing out. And you're like, okay, I see in Scripture we're raised with Christ, whatever that means. But how do I walk this out? How can I live on earth and be seated with Christ? How can I be in these two places at the same time? I mean, we already do this all the time with technology, right? I mean, a CEO of a company is on, in Florida on vacation, but his office is in Chicago. And something comes up and he needs to be part of a meeting. In a time not too long ago, he would have had to catch a plane. I know they could have telephoned it in, but if they needed like his presence or whatever, right? He's catching a plane. He's going back to Chicago. Now what does he do? He's FaceTiming. He's Zooming. He's doing a video chat. He's physically in Florida, but his authority is operating in Chicago. Spiritually, we have been raised with Christ, but our authority can operate here on the earth. And here's the thing about being raised and seated with Christ who is far above all authority. Being higher always gives us different perspective. We have to begin to look at things through the lens of spiritual authority, high above everything else. Dr. Tony Evans says this about spiritual authority. If you're seated with him in heavenly places, but you're operating from earthly places, then you're functioning from the wrong location. Look, I know we took the long way around. We looked at a lot of scripture today. Some communication coaches would probably frown on the amount of fire hydrant scriptures I just threw at you. It's hard to retain. I get it. Listen, we're only scratching the surface of the topic. Again, I encourage you to dive into your Bible. Study this for yourself. But I wanted to at least get us started with some kind of biblical foundation for understanding that you and I have spiritual authority. So after the breakthrough comes the walking it out portion. And it's it's not easy. It's not. Mark 11, chapter 22. I mean, Mark chapter 11, verse 22 through 24. Again, a very famous verse of scripture. It says this, have faith in God. Jesus answered. This is Jesus talking. Have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, look, I've been around long enough to have seen and heard this verse of Scripture misused and abused. This isn't an invitation to the lifestyles of the rich and famous. This isn't a genie in a bottle verse. We don't quote this three times and wish for whatever we wanted. Well, your word says, if I say it, I'll have it. That's not how this works. And we spent a lot of time in the beginning of the series talking about having a clear word from God. Right. And we talked at length about staying in our lane and staying within our God assigned territory. And this is no different. However, in regards to breakthrough, we receive our breakthroughs by faith. We speak to the mountain, believe in our heart and don't doubt. And part of the walking it out process is exercising our spiritual authority. 
Understanding that when I speak the word of God over the situation and I come into alignment with what God has spoken, there's something significant about that. There's something that's significant that happens in the spiritual realm. We don't always see it. We certainly don't always see it immediately. And I wish we did. And I don't understand why we don't. I've been very candid about my own bent towards skepticism. I mean, I've grown up, I've been around, I've seen the videos, I've done the things, I've seen the people, you push down and the rolling and the flopping and all the things. And I believe in the spiritual gifts. I believe that the spiritual gifts moved this morning, that God was giving people a, a, a prophetic word saying, you don't have to live in heartbreak. That's, that's God's word speaking through us to people. I believe in all of that. But I don't understand it all. And I don't understand why Again, we're living in that tension of God's word says, but my reality is the breakthrough will come. I believe it will. But sometimes it doesn't come instantly. And if you're here last week, you heard my even my own my own story cried out to God. He answered my prayer, but not in the way that I thought he would. Breakthrough comes. But in between, we exercise our spiritual authority. And we speak, I mean, we speak the breakthrough. I mean, when we talked about the, the two messages in the series, speak the breakthrough, we didn't even talk about speaking the breakthrough. I mostly talked about stop complaining. But this is part of that. This is an extension of that. We speak the breakthrough. We speak to the mountain. We believe in our heart. We exercise our spiritual, spiritual authority. Look, this isn't a one-time deal. When we take our authority and break things off of our life, it's done. But we have to walk it out. I mean, if you have kids, you know that it's a battle, right? The battle for authority. Right? You, you tell them, whatever, especially in their younger, you know, molding ages. Right? You don't, it's, it's not just a one-time, like, as a parent, you have the authority. And you tell them, and they're like, yeah, I got it. And then they don't. You know what I mean? You're exercising your authority, but there's this like, there's this tension between what I know to be true and what they're doing, and you're like, ah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we have to walk it out. All things trend toward disorder. Anything that is left to anything that is left to itself will drift toward chaos. And, and disorder. And the same is true concerning breakthrough. Right? This is a process that has to become part of our spiritual disciplines. We have to intentionally bring our thoughts and words into alignment with God's word, exercising our spiritual authority. We have to intentionally and regularly break agreement with the ungodly beliefs or the UGBs that we're constantly coming into alignment with. We have to intentionally and regularly renew our minds. We have to intentionally and regularly exercise our spiritual authority. And let me tell you, it is hard work. It's hard. That's why we pray for God to do something in our life, to deliver us from something, you know. You, you curse for 40 years of your life. You give your heart to Christ. And you're like, I want to stop cursing. And then you, 
the first thing that happens out comes whatever. Like, and you're like, I thought I prayed. I thought I was uh, whatever, you know. We, we deal with things. We go through stuff. Yesterday, coaching basketball for four and five years old. It all, you know, I got, I got worked up. Felt attacked. Felt like maybe people were cheating. And I was not happy. And it, and here I am again. I just told you the story about the guy on my team I was honking at a few weeks ago. I'm like, God, what the, what is going on? I already prayed about this, and now see, I'm standing here in front of a bunch of people I don't know. There's hundreds of people. I'm the pastor, and I'm acting like, I didn't act like a maniac, by the way. But I, <laughs> inside, I was like, I'm on that. Like, it's not going to take much. And I'm going to be like, I was like, they're five, dude. Just calm down. And we won the game, by the way, so. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm embellishing that partially. <laughs> It's hard work. It's continual work. And I don't want to sound harsh, but if we're unwilling to do the hard work spiritually, we will never walk in the authority and the freedom that Jesus provided. Never. We'll get out of it what we put in. Again, we're on information overload. You know, we say this all the time. We don't need to do, we don't need more information. We need to do something with the information we have. And I feel like the answers are sometimes so simple, but we just choose not to do it. How many of the answers to our problems are just spend more time with Him? Worship, prayer, the Word. We, just can't, even, we can't even do that. Like, God, I want you to do it a different way. And He's like, I already gave you a way to do it. You're like, I don't want to do it that way. I need a different way. I'd rather just, you just do this. And He's like, look, already provided it you've got to take your authority you've got to exercise it you got to do something with it we'll get out of it what we put in and so while we're living within this tension of God's word says but my reality is it's important that we don't allow the enemy to have control over our thoughts or in our words that we speak and declare and we fight knowing that the battle has already been won it's already been won we rest in the work that Jesus already, he already completed. Can we pray just for a moment? On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.